Hi, my name is Kendall Donaldson, and I'm a professor of clinical ophthalmology at the Baskin Palmer Eye Institute, where I practice cataract surgery, a refractive cataract surgery, and cornea. My name is John Bukic, and I am a refractive cataract surgeon based in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I have a private practice that I've been involved with a number of emerging technologies in terms of development uh, and research in that area. And I look forward to hanging out today, John, to discuss refractive lens exchange in our patients. So it's an exciting topic these days. Uh, presbyopia has really gained a lot of attention over the last several years. Oh, absolutely. And I think maybe we can even start with what does it mean to have a refractive lens exchange? You know, we're talking now about removing the natural crystalline lens, but who do you think is, is the patient for, uh, in your opinion, in your practice? Who do you look for? So honestly, refractive lens exchange to me means any type of cataract surgery. You know, cataract surgery has truly evolved through the years, and it's not just the removal of a cataract anymore. Of course, we want to have a refractive experience, and we want to not only give patients better vision, but we want to give them more freedom from glasses. So I do feel that refractive lens exchange really involves cataract patients and now even some of these younger patients that just want that freedom from glasses. Yeah, I think what we've really seen is the evolution of the expectation of patients as well. So it really calls the question of what is a cataract uh, and then what is the expectation of what we can deliver in a consistent and reliable manner. And, and the fact is we've gotten pretty good at this. The technology supports a consistent outcome and that allows us to offer patients an outcome that not only gets rid of the blur that the cataract causes but correct the refractive error that they may have had since childhood. Yeah, that, that's um, exactly what I was thinking. You know, with the talk over d um, a dysfunctional lens syndrome, mm -hmm. which is really something that we've been talking about over the last five to seven years. George Waring has really popularized that term. Um, but we're all kind of talking about this, that dysfunctional lens that progressively loses its ability mm -hmm. to change and focus, you know, even as early as age 40 and beyond and just progressively uh, turns into a cataract with time. So, yeah, so those younger patients. I'm seeing more patients who are hyperopic, uh, who are saying, I'm just tired of wearing my glasses. My friends have been able to get rid of their glasses either through LASIK or some other procedure. Uh, and they're coming in even at younger ages, in their 30s and sometimes even late 20s, saying, all right, I am now plus 350, plus 4. They don't say that, but they know that they're increasingly dependent. Uh, and those are kind of the tricky patients. Uh, how do you counsel someone like that? Well, I was also thinking, you know, with better technology that we have, we're able to feel more confident as surgeons that we're able to give them back more full range of vision. And so, again, the, the cataract patients and these refractive lens exchange patients are just younger and younger all the time. But I also find that the younger the patient, the higher their expectations. And so sometimes I think a lot of this is just setting the expectations that well, we can't really make you 20 again, but we can really give you back a lot of the function that you used to have and less dependency on the crutch of glasses or contacts. So, you know, a lot of times patients will come in maybe thinking LASIK is the answer. You know, mm -hmm. they want their vision corrected. And so there is an education component here to say, you know, it's not just correction on the cornea, but we also have these other lens-based options. So educating the patient, I think, is, is key. 
I think it's a, a different conversation with a younger patient. The profound pseudophagic presbyopia that occurs is really significant, unlike someone who's maybe in their 50s and they've already experienced the need for reading glasses or a bifocal, kind of understand that near to far isn't something that you have not naturally, that you can lose that. But if you, even if you wore hyperopic glasses, even if you were a plus three, with those glasses you didn't need a bifocal. But now all of a sudden, if you make them great at distance and they don't have the near, that becomes a real dissatisfaction for the patient. So that's part of the counseling that we spend a lot of time on. And in fact, do you have choices that you, you give the patients or do you provide them with what I think this is gonna give you the best opportunity and the best options? So I have a little standard spiel that I give patients and I go through all of the different options the same way every time. That way I can reflect back and remember exactly what I told them, but then I make a choice for them really. I make a recommendation because it is overwhelming for patients and they're just learning about all of this for the first time and a lot of times I've actually been using virtual medicine to go back and meet with them a second time rather than bringing them back into the office. Mm -hmm. So we might present all this information, let them kind of digest it and learn a little bit more about it, and then meet with them in a hybrid visit. So I've really found since COVID, being able to use those hybrid visits to extend um, the conversation uh, as they learn a little bit more, it's been very helpful. You know, I'm, I'm glad to hear you say that. We were sort of almost forced into it. We never did telehealth. We never had a conversation outside of person to person, but we had to do it uh, for a period of time. And what we actually found it was really significantly meaningful that yeah. we could have a follow-up conversation. And it wasn't always me who was doing it. In fact, commonly we would have, you know, our office technicians or the optometrists in our office would call the patient back or they'd set up a Zoom conference uh, and kind of go through slides if they had expressed interest. Uh, and it really helped the patient understand, as well as quite frankly, help the conversion rate of patients to the, what I thought is the best lens for them. Yeah, so. those are great points because I do think it's important to educate your entire staff as to your thought process and to all of these different um, options that we have for patients. And that's why, again, I go through all the options and then I write down what I think is best for the patient. And then that can be propagated when my staff address the patient in the future. So when they go back and have these conversations or virtual visits, they're still, they can see what I was thinking and recommending for the patient and they have a good understanding. So I think staff training and making sure your technicians and your refractive um, coordinators is all on the same page and we're propagating one single message for the patient rather than overwhelming them. So what I found is that satisfaction is directly correlated to how good their distance vision is. Mm -hmm. We can work with the near needs and we can, often patients will sometimes accept very low power reading glasses for occasional use, but if, unless you absolutely nail the distance vision, that's gonna be a constant source of dissatisfaction. What sort of things do you do to, to help patients understand that that's really our goal is to get that? And how do you, what steps do you take to get and achieve that? So I find with every patient I'm measuring eye dominance. And before, we used to just do that with patients that wanted monovision. But I really do think it's important to emphasize eye dominance for every patient. Um, because a lot of times if I'm doing a multifocal lens, a lot of times I prefer to start with a non-dominant eye mm -hmm. um, because then I can kind of assess their glare and halos and, and potential dysphotopsias. And then we can make a decision regarding their, their dominant eye, which may, may change my course if I'm mixing and matching a little bit, or if they're thrilled the first time and we're doing the same thing. But I do emphasize with patients that this is not a surgery involving one eye. Mm -hmm. This is a surgery that's a process. It involves two eyes, 
and we're going to be reevaluating, and we're going to be working together to make the best decision throughout this entire process. And the process lasts even six months. You know, it's going to last a period of time while they go through neuroadaptation. So we do talk about that before, and I think that's really key. Even the enhancement process um, and the potential for YAG, you know, with a lot of our um, higher uh, technology lenses now with light adjustable lens and with you know multifocal lenses a lot of times we might need to tweak them or lock them in or do a laser enhancement post-operatively they really need to know about that ahead of time so they realize well the process doesn't end with my surgery it's going to continue and we'll work together until we reach the outcome that I'm working for. So you, you've raised several good points that really resonate with me. First of all, the whole idea of dominance. You know, there's a continuum. It goes everywhere from amblyopia to ambinocular. Mm -hmm. uh, and there are patients where there isn't a clear dominance pattern. But most people do, and knowing where you're working with uh, and what, which eye is going to be their preferred eye, I think that really is important to sort out. And you can do that reliably in a refractive lens exchange patient, less reliably in a cataract patient where the blur is there. And they can switch, not their dominance, but they're switched their preference just based on the blur that they may have due to the cataract. So I think that's really an important feature. Yes. Uh, another question is there's never been a zero enhancement refractive procedure. There's always been that percentage, hopefully small, but you know, real, that a patient needs a little bit more, something different where we came close but not right on. Do you think you can do refractive lens exchanges if you don't have easy access to an eczema laser to, to adjust or enhance. Yeah, I think you have to have something incorporated into your practice to do those enhancements. Um, I do them myself and my colleagues at Baskin Palmer do them themselves, but as long as you have um, something set into place so the patient knows in advance that if we have to do an enhancement, my partner is going to be doing that. I think as long as they have that expectation, again, you know, just like the outcome of the actual surgery, the process, you know, they have certain expectations and you want to make sure those are set realistically. For example, if they're going to be doing their post-op care with an optometrist, mm -hmm. you know, partially or fully, you want to let them know ahead of time. So again, it's setting expectations as far as their vision, as far as their post-operative care, as far as the course of recovery. And I think all that's really important and it makes the patient feel more comfortable throughout the process. So I have a couple of things that I always discuss with patients, and I'll tell them nothing is as good as being 20 years old with original equipment that was issued in perfect working order. That's not you. That is not what you have. You haven't seen well since childhood or have no form memory of seeing clearly. We're going to make it better. We can make you functional for most circumstances, but understand that better is what we know we can achieve. Perfect, we have to set expectations to say, all right, we're going to make your life better every waking moment. But perfect, that's really hard. Exactly. And I think a lot of patients come in thinking they're going to be perfect in mm -hmm. every way and they will be 20 again. But you know, really taking the time, and it does require a lot of time. I think it's hard for us to do this alone, okay? Right, right. So all of these patients, especially you know, with refractive lens exchange and the, um, the higher expectations, they're paying more money, so that automatically elevates their expectations because they think, well, I did pay all this money, so I'm expecting something that much better than what my neighbor got from their routine cataract surgery. So I think we have to kind of say, well, we're going to give you this very best technology 
okay, we can offer you the very best technology, but again, that's not going to make us 20, and that would be a miracle if that technology were to exist. And I hope it does very soon, but you know, in 2022, I think we're very lucky to have all the different options and the excellent technology that we have, but you know, letting them know what that is, what that technology is, is important. Yeah, you know, there, there are several options. Maybe we should touch on that a little bit because I think that is a really critical feature. We talk about matching the right lens to the right patient. I think that is important. But I can tell you that I don't always have the right answer. I mean, I think that I'll know what will be best, but there's maybe some learning on the surgeon's part and, and maybe some expectations that have to be set as we talked about. Um, what about like the monofocal option? Um, familiarity with the eye enhancers, maybe Vividi, or the, the newer lenses that may have some extended depth of focus. Uh, do you use those for refractive lens exchange, or how is that I part use, of your practice? I use those all the time. I mean, okay. the iHans lens is kind of my go-to lens uh, as a monofocal lens, and I really find I get a little extra depth of focus I really don't tell the patient that in advance, though, because I don't want to create this expectation that they're going to have full intermediate vision and then they'll be disappointed. However, I find that if I just do a small amount of mini monovision with them, mm -hmm. that they can really gain significant freedom. They can, from glasses, they can see their watch. Um, they can see their, their smartphone. Uh, so it really translates into practical, the practical extension of their vision. So I love the iHance lens. I think Invista is another nice lens that has a little increased depth of focus that we can offer our patients. And then if we think about the ASCRS surveys, you know, for year after year, what most of us are doing is a lot of monovision, mm -hmm. you know, to varying degrees, whether it be you know, mini monovision with blended vision or full monovision. That's what we're doing more than the actual you know, premium uh, lens channel. So, you know, I think we have to deal with these monofocal lenses, and we're fortunate to have wonderful monofocal options for patients. You know, you, you've actually touched on exactly the way I like to approach, and that is, we do one eye at a time, uh, and. I'll determine which, uh, try my best to determine which is the dominant eye, and I'll know the, do the non-dominant eye for near first. Mm -hmm. And that gives me an attempted versus achieved. Um, it's much more forgiving. You know, you, you can see that the patient may be okay here or here, but the distance, you know, a half a diopter, a three-quarter diopter at distance, that's a big deal. If you're off by half a diopter at near, you're still pretty good. Right. And so I'll use that to our advantage. Yeah, and I think a lot of times, of course, the patient's going to want to do the worst cataract first, so we can't always do the non-dominant eye first, but, you know, in those patients that have pretty similar cataracts, let's say I want to put in a synergy, you know, mm -hmm. a, you know, a trifocal EDOF combination lens, and they get that great near vision with mm -hmm. that synergy lens in the non-dominant eye, and they're just happy with everything, of course, I'm going to do that with the other eye. But if they're not quite as happy with the crispness of the distance vision, that still gives me the option to use that non-dominant eye for their great near vision that they just got from the Synergy. And now I can either put an eye hands in the, the dominant eye, or I might put a vividity in the dominant eye, something that's going to really, that I know is I can hit that distance target with. And then they'll use those two eyes together, again, emphasizing the process of cataract surgery and the customization of what we do these days. So that's I mean, definitely the case for patients who have cataracts. With refractive lens exchange, it's a little bit different, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and the expectations were both eyes are presumably pretty clear, or at least correctable, mm -hmm. uh, and then all of a sudden we have maybe greater flexibility as to which eye to do first, and so that, you know, that sort of scenario or cadence actually will work pretty well. Yeah. So uh, what do you think about some of the newer technologies that are out there? 
Um, the, there is the IC8, which has been given an approvable letter, and we expect to have available soon. It's a small aperture, simple concept. It's something that's been around since uh, over a thousand years, really. Exactly. Um, the whole concept of that is intriguing to me. What do you think? I'm very excited about the IC8, actually. In my practice, which is a tertiary care practice, mm -hmm. I see so many patients that have had a history of RK, followed by AK, followed by LASIK, you know, especially the hyperopic LASIK mm -hmm. patients that have a lot of higher order aberrations. And I think that's a great opportunity for the IC8 um, to reduce some of those aberrations. So, you know, I'm looking forward to having that at our disposal in the very near future. Future, Even some of our keratoconus patients uh, could benefit from that. I feel like you know, probably a third to a half of my patients could benefit in some way, you know, because they don't have perfect corneas. Um, so. so we have other uh, new technology that is uh, starting to emerge as, as a more popular opportunity or option uh, with the light adjustable lens. Um, yes. I'm doing quite a bit of that now and for me that eliminates that potential that I won't hit the right mark. I mean I know that I'm going to be able to dial that in exactly and as far as the amount of near giving that ability to let them try it. You know, try it on for size for a week, and if you like it, great, lock it in. If you don't, move it back. And so that's been successful. Yeah, that's terrific. And I'm sure patient, it really appeals to patients that that is adjustable. And if you give them a little monovision and they're not happy, you know, they know that's not the end point. But how do you incorporate that logistically into your practice, John? How have you managed to change things around so that you can help these patients go through the whole process of multiple lock-ins possibly? That's a, take more time. Yeah, that's a really good question. That is, if you will, the challenge clinically is to have the ability to see this patient back four times, sometimes five mm -hmm. times, uh, and they become a real participant in their care, which you can turn into a positive, but it is an additional burden on the practice. So we have uh, an optometric um, a component of that where the refractions are done, which is critical, of course, uh, and then getting everything lined up. And I can come in and do the adjustment really in a very short period of time, but it is a burden on the patient to come back in, be dilated, and have that treatment. Um, ultimately, the end result is quite good. So I'd like that. Yeah, that was a really good point making the patient a partner in this process. And that takes into account the light adjustable lens, but it also takes into account those patients that come in with ocular surface issues where you need them to pre-treat and go through this whole process mm -hmm. of optimizing their ocular surface so we can make the best choice you know, as far as lenses. So the more the patient is willing to partner with us, mm -hmm. I think that gives us more options. I, I really always look for a patient that's willing to compromise, you know, making compromises. How much are they going to work with me? How much are they willing to compromise? Especially if we're doing something like a EDOF lens mm -hmm. or a multifocal, are they willing to make some compromises to achieve the goals that they want to achieve? So, you know, some inconvenience of having to come back to your office multiple times and things like that, having the patience to get to the end uh, outcome. So I know that a lot of us use multifocal lenses as a treatment of choice. So we've got great choices there. We've got panoptics and we've got you know high-ed, low-ed multifocals. We have a hybrid EDOF with multifocal. Mm -hmm. um, that clearly has a, a significant place in refractive lens exchange as well, in my opinion. Uh, Kendall, what, what do you do? How, how do you use those lenses and when, when are they the right choice for you? 
Well, again, I'd like to emphasize the compromise issue. So when I meet with a patient, I'm trying to figure out, are they willing to compromise? Are they willing to have a little bit of dysphotopsias to gain that range of, of visual freedom without glasses? So I think that's important, important to figure out because if they're not willing to make a little compromise, then, um, then you know, maybe you know, an extended depth of focus lens or you know, a multifocal lens might not be right for that patient. You mentioned the hyperopes. I find, again, the hyperopes are so easy to please. You know, they haven't had anything. They don't have their distance. Right. They don't have their near. So I think we have a little bit more flexibility with those hyperopes as long as they don't have a huge angle kappa. Um, so I find that they're, they're pretty much happy with most things. It's really the myopes that we have to watch out for. Mm -hmm. The minus four, minus five that is used to having such great near vision. So I always try to tell them, you know, we're going to bring out your near point a little bit. It's going to be a different type of vision. We're going to have to adapt to that. But they really want that uh, great near vision. So with the um, myopes, I'm using more synergy. Mm -hmm. You know, I do love Vividi and I use a lot of panoptics but I find that they won't get quite that near that they're used to um, with the higher, higher myopes. So I think we're learning a little bit about the risks of retinal issues associated with myopic cataract surgery as well. And I think the traditional thinking was that higher myopes were at risk following cataract surgery. There was increased risk. And I, right now the, the retina community is, is kind of coming to the conclusion that myopia is a biomarker for retinal pathology. And if it's, there's a careful peripheral exam uh, in any areas that are suspect are either pretreated or you're aware of it, that if a patient doesn't have that, even if they're you know, a highly myopic patient, whatever you call that, maybe it's minus seven, minus mm -hmm. eight, minus 10, that you can very safely do refractive lens exchange in those patients, provided that you have a retinal colleague take a good look, or if you, you know, are very comfortable with peripheral exams and uh, doing that yourself. So those are great points. You know, once they have a cataract, it's clear cut. Okay, mm -hmm. cat I always tell patients, you know, cataracts are a normal part of life. Uh -huh. Cataract surgery is a normal part of life. But when we're dealing with refractive lens exchange and these patients are a little bit younger, mm -hmm. for the high myopes, I really like them to have a PVD before mm -hmm. I'm doing surgery. Right. And, um, you know, I, again, if you're dealing with a minus 15, you definitely want to send them to a retinal specialist and get them cleared from a retinal perspective because they truly are at a higher risk of retinal detachment if they don't yet have a PVD. So once they have the PVD, they've been seen by their retinal, retinal doctor, then I would consider proceeding. But that PVD usually doesn't come until about the age of 55, I would mm -hmm. say, in those higher myos, but also, you know, higher myopes tend to get cataracts at a little bit younger age. So it's kind of hard to find a minus 15 myope without a little cataract, even at the age of 50 mm -hmm. to 55. Well, I, I certainly do take the younger myopic patients, uh, actually all the myopic patients, anywhere, anyone's above minus eight who I'm looking at having a refractive lens exchange, I'll just have them get a retina consult. Uh, mm -hmm. And the retina docs are just great about saying, all right, this is a, a patient who we're good for doing this for, uh, or we have an area that's suspect, but I wouldn't have treated it otherwise, but mm -hmm. we did uh, what looked to be an area that would benefit from a prophylactic treatment. And I think yeah. it's good patient reassurance it gives me reassurance and you know, absolutely it makes everyone feel better and you never want to look back and say well I thought about it but I didn't do it and I wish I did so you know I think if we're thinking about it and we're concerned enough then it's it's worthwhile um, inconveniencing the patient a little bit to give all of us a peace of mind including the patient like you said 
So what do you think in summary are, are the sort of things that you'd like people to kind of take back and say, all right, this is one or two points that really I want to hang on and I want to incorporate into the discussions that I have? So I would say, you know, it's been interesting through the years. The age that we're doing cataract surgery has gotten younger mm -hmm. and younger and younger. And part of that is that we have visual expectations, maybe through LASIK or other things, that to have great vision. And patients want to maintain that vision instead of being compromised. They're not waiting. Right. Like when, the, when cataract surgery was a huge surgery, they would wait until their vision was horrible. But now with a little decline in, in their vision, they want that surgery sooner. And even if they, let's say, have had LASIK and we're talking about a refractive lens exchange, they want to maintain that high quality vision. And I also think that as technology has improved, it's given us the confidence as surgeons to be doing surgery at a younger age. But I think when we have the perfect answer, we'll be doing the surgery at 40, at age 40 for everyone, right? And we won't have presbyopia anymore. So clearly, we don't have quite the right answer for everyone yet, not the perfect technology that mm -hmm. makes us 20 again, but hopefully very soon. But you know, as we're seeing this trend, I think it's, it's uh, promising and it shows the way we've all worked with industry to help give us better technology and better tools uh, so that we can offer this to patients at a, at a younger age. Couldn't agree more. Uh, I also think that you need to have premium lens options as a part of your day-to-day -day practice. That you need to have the ability to both use these lenses comfortably and understand where the limits and where the advantages and perhaps maybe the things that you have to explain are things that patients may need to understand or get used to. Make it a part of your practice. The refractive lens exchange really does depend upon a premium outcome, which means we're going to be using premium lenses. And I think that uh, the majority of our practices are still going to be cataracts, but making the, at a minimum, a toric lens, but uh, certainly as a routine uh, for patients, um, offering them and providing them with multifocality or adjustability uh, is, I think, not only the future, it is necessary. If you're going to have an active and robust practice, medical and surgical practice, you've got to offer that. And Absolutely. refractive lens exchange just follows. Yeah, and we don't have one right answer for everyone. Again, yeah. we're customizing depending on what the patient wants. You know, we really have to work together to get them to that endpoint, that outcome they're looking for. Thanks, Kendall. Yeah, thank That's you. A pleasure discussing with you. Thank you.